You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 236. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. I sat in a room of 7th through 12th grade girls this week, and it didn't take but about 15 minutes for it to come out. Even though we didn't know each other yet, it's a new small group designed to encourage and give the girls a safe place to hurt and to grow. But about 15 minutes in, a young girl blurted out what was obviously weighing heavy on her sweet, tender middle school heart. Someone she loved is dying and she is suffering. Our culture today is not doing us any favors when it comes to understanding suffering. But scripture is pretty clear. God himself suffered greatly, and we are perfected by it. Riley Clemens sings of this in her song, Better For It. I couldn't shake thinking about a particular gentleman in scripture when I first heard this song, and I can't wait to explore his story with you on the other side of the chorus. Let's listen. The opening verse of Riley's song says, I wouldn't say I would have chosen it. That time I hit the bottom and it hurt a little bit. Funny how being down can make you look up, but now I'm better for it. All I could see in the moment was my heart and how it felt ripped open. I'll admit I found you down low in the brokenness and now I'm better for it. And our chorus says it, you know, hindsight is 2020. And we may not understand it while we're in the midst of it. And honestly, we may never really understand it and so until we see Jesus face to face. But if God so chooses, he gives us the gift to understand how the painful moments leave us better for it. In Timothy Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he reminds us this. He says, according to Christian theology, suffering is not meaningless, neither in general nor in particular instances. For God has purposed to defeat evil so exhaustively on the cross that all the ravages of evil will someday be undone and we, despite participating in it so deeply, will be saved. And God is accomplishing this not in spite of suffering, agony, and loss, but through it. It is through the suffering of that, that the suffering of humankind will eventually be overcome and undone. Suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. And we see all of this unfold in one story in scripture, and that is the story of Joseph. And I wish we had time to read the story here together, 
one of the things that I want uh, you to try this week is to try to use the bite of reading scripture out loud. Now, bite, by the way, is just an acronym for Bible Interaction Tool Exercises. I, I share the bites with you that I use to keep my own time in God's Word varied. And in fact, you can subscribe to my website and get a one-page resource I created featuring my top five bites. Just head over to michellekneesat.com and sign up and I'll shoot you that resource right away. But this particular bite of reading the text aloud, I haven't suggested in a while. So even if you're a regular listener, you need to try it this week, okay? I have a friend that I meet with most weeks. Uh, We discuss scripture that we're studying together. And periodically, I will read the text aloud. And she, um, she does homework and she brings notes and answers that she's worked on throughout the week. And so I'll read the text aloud and she'll look at her notes and say, I understand it differently when you read it like that. (laughs) Okay. What she means is that I read it with inflection and enthusiasm, like I'm reading to a friend or for a radio play and the meaning somehow jumps out at her or she'll see things she didn't see when she read it to herself. You know, the thing is, is that my read in my head voice is sometimes monotone and riddled with random thoughts and maybe even skip stuff. And so when you read it out loud, especially a story like this one, it will come to life and you will see things that you don't see when you just listen to an audio version or you're reading it um, in your own head. So start in Genesis 37. You can begin to read Joseph's story there. You you will have to follow the bite of read and keep on reading to get to the end of this story. It will take you all the way to the end of Genesis in chapter 50. And if you don't think you can make it through, trust me, you can. This is a great story. You'll be amazed at how you'll get into it. And if you're using the bite of reading the text out loud, like I suggested, with energy, well, cut yourself some slack. You might break it up into several sessions. I'm not asking you to sit down and read you know, all those chapters out loud in one sitting. Now, if you live with other people and you, it feels a little strange to read the text out loud, then invite them to listen. That's another bite, sharing with a friend. Perhaps you can share your observations with each other and get more out of it than you've ever imagined by reading it out loud to each other. And I have many international listeners, and this is also a great way to practice your English. But for today, I'm going to have to walk you through some of the highlights of the story for it all to make sense, just knowing that it's going to inspire you to read the whole thing on your own. So in Genesis 37, verse 2, the first thing we learn about Joseph is, well, he was a teenager. And it's he seems to be a pretty typical teenager as far as I can tell. And it says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. All right, we don't know what his brothers did, but we can estimate uh, that all of his brothers ranged from about 20 years older than him on down. Joseph was uh, the the youngest of that set of brothers, and then he had a younger brother, uh, Benjamin. Gad and Asher were Zilpah's sons, and Dan and Naphtali were Bilhah's sons, and they obviously did something wrong, and Joseph tattled. Okay, I, I grew up as an only child, but even though I didn't have siblings to tattle on me all the time... I don't like it. Do you? I mean, is tattling a good characteristic in a person? It's a pretty immature thing to do, to be honest. And what does it say about the person tattling? 
Well, let's read between the lines here for Joseph. Uh, Based on our own personal experiences with either being on the giving end of a bad report or on the side that the bad report is given against. So Joseph sees his brothers acting in a way he knows his father would not approve. And he justifies in his own heart that he is honoring his father's wishes by letting him know of this unacceptable behavior. But somewhere deep inside, he wants to prove that he is better than his brothers. He believes their choices are foolish and that he would not make the same choices. And he wants to bring this fact to light. And he doesn't really like them anyway. So let's kill two birds with one stone. Show how terrible they are while proving to dad how great I am. Now, what does this type of action do to relationships? And don't fool yourself into thinking that this one is just for kids. Adults give bad reports all the time, either to people in authority, as in this case, or to each other. It's called gossiping. And we do it for the same reasons young Joseph might have. We do it to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves feel better. Uh, If someone else looks lower than us, we feel better about ourselves in some sick way. Or even to harm the other party for whatever reasons may be pent up inside of us. I mean, which came first? Joseph was a self-righteous teenager and his brothers reacted negatively to it. Or his brothers treated him poorly and it caused a division between them that made it easy to be a self-righteous teenager. From what I can read in the story leading up to this one, Joseph's fairly dysfunctional family probably offered a model that didn't inspire quality sibling relationships, if you know what I mean. His mother and aunt were both married to his father and were in constant turmoil with him and with one another. And while it is not surprising that Joseph turned out like he did, it still didn't look good on him. I I say that to my daughters. When they speak or act in a way that isn't Christ-like or flattering um, for a young woman to act or for something for a young woman to say, I'll say something like, that just doesn't look good on you. And Tattling and gossip never looks good on us. Giving a bad report about others doesn't look good on us. And if we really cared about the offending party, if we really cared what they were doing, we would take our concerns to them in truth and in love and then take the consequences from there. And there are always consequences. So before we get to what those were for Joseph, we have to add one more factor that seems to be the proverbial nail in the coffin for Joseph's future, the favoritism of his father. Let's keep reading verse three. Now Israel, which is another uh, name for uh, Joseph's father, Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, this is where I get the question, which came first, right? The favoritism that led his brothers to hate him and speak unkindly to him? Or, you know, was he already kind of bratty and it was just easy to hate some more? So favoritism is so destructive in relationships, especially in close family relationships. Remember that small group of girls I mentioned at the beginning of the show? Well, we were talking about what topics that we could address this year, uh, throughout the year, and one of the girls shared the pain of favoritism shown by her grandparents, and it caused division in their family and pain in her heart, and she didn't know how to label it favoritism as a topic for discussion, but that's exactly what she was describing. Once again, this was modeled in the life of Jacob. Joseph's 
father was on the other end of his father's favoritism. You know, Jacob's father favored his brother Esau, and it led Jacob to manipulate to get what he wanted more than more than favor, I guess. He wanted the blessing. He wanted um, he wanted the blessing of his father. So I'm sure Jacob's unhealthy personality traits shaped the way that he parented. And it makes you wonder why he favored a child, knowing what it was like to be an unfavored child. But still, I don't know. Perhaps this favoritism is what gave Joseph uh, the boldness to tell his dreams. Perhaps he believed that he would not be held accountable for his own questionable behaviors while seeming to be quite content with pointing out the flaws in his brothers. But if all of this led to Joseph's feeling of entitlement, his world was about to be turned upside down. And as you keep reading in Genesis chapter 37, you see that Joseph had some dreams that made it seem as though he would rule over his brothers and even his father and mother. He had no filter when telling them the dreams and it made them hate him even more. And it seems as though the anger and the bitterness kept building up until a tragic day when Joseph's father sent him on an errand to go find his brothers and they took him and they sold him into slavery and they made it look like he was killed by a wild animal. Seriously, they really did that. Read it for yourself. It's crazy. Genesis 37, 23 says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. It really makes me think of our song lyrics. When when she starts out, I wouldn't have chosen it. I, I wouldn't say that I would have chosen it. That time I hit the bottom and it hurt a little bit. Funny how being down can make you look up, but now I'm better for it. You know, there were some natural consequences to Joseph's self-righteous immaturity. Um, he had poor relationships with his brothers. That's one. Uh, then the sin in his brother's heart grew until they took this drastic step. Of course, Joseph's not responsible for their reaction. Unfortunately, it was this tragic consequence as well. But as Joseph sitting at the bottom, literally the bottom of an empty water well, I would think that he looked up and cried out to the maker of heaven and earth for help. And much more happened to Joseph that you'll read for yourself this week. Um, He gets his brothers, take him out of that well, sell him um, into slavery. And then he ends up in Egypt and you can read all about it in the, in Genesis But I imagine the suffering that Joseph endured did what Paul describes in Romans chapter 5. He says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. You see, Joseph foreshadows Christ, and he, like Jesus, he grew in stature and in favor with God and man. And his suffering did not end, but through it all, He also had great favor by God as well. I mean, through it all, God had a plan. He had a plan to not only make Joseph better for it, but to provide for his chosen people. And I want to remind us all that while God cares about our individual lives and our individual stories, we are all a part of a bigger kingdom story that he wants to tell to draw all men to him. So it's not always all about us, although he does care about our individual stories and somehow being the God that he is, he can he can do both. Right. He can care about our individual story and still fulfill his greater plans for the world and for others. 
Now I'm going to skip over to the end of Genesis because I want you to see a very different Joseph than the one we've been talking about today. You see, God had a plan and unfortunately Joseph's pain was part of that plan. So it was great favor in his life, but his pain was definitely part of it as well. We read that in Genesis 50. Let's let's pick up again in Genesis 50, verse 15. Once again, I highly encourage you to read and keep on reading from chapter 37 through 50. But let's look in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. Now, just to, to um, kind of bring you up to speed, Joseph gets sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. Um, read how, but he ends up to be the number two guy in Egypt and he ends up saving all of Egypt and kind of the surrounding area from this terrible famine and uh, through God's favor and his leadership. And he saves his family and brings them into Egypt and they're living. Um, he placed, sets them up in the land of Goshen and uh, he gets to see his father again, gets to see all his brothers again and uh, kind of reveals himself at one point as, you know, like you, uh, I'm Joseph, the brother you thought that you'd never see again. And then at this point in the story, Joseph's father has died. All right. So verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays? us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Um, we could spend a whole podcast talking about how they, <laughs> just the brothers, right? But his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, this isn't the self-righteous teenage boy from chapter 37, is it? You know, there's a wonderful perspective and a maturity about him. He's not perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But he's compassionate and sensitive and forgiving and generous and kind. And through all of the trials and suffering, he's better for it to the benefit of Joseph and for God's people. So what's next? Well, I want you to be encouraged by God's truth. It's so much easier to see when you study someone else's life and perhaps you're in the midst of pain so great that you don't yet have the hindsight that you will have in the future. But be assured that God wants to shape you and mold you and use you. And as you endure, you'll be better for it. Read and keep on reading, beginning in Genesis 37. Try reading aloud with life and enthusiasm and with a friend. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. Email me, michelle at michellekneezat.com. Hop on Twitter at michellekneezat or Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. Let's talk about what you're learning. Now, before I tell you what song will be featured next week, I want to thank the premier Christian music streaming service, theoverflow.com for pointing their subscribers to this podcast, but more importantly, pointing them to God's word through music. When you subscribe to their trial, you will receive a 10 day series of devotions I wrote based on some of my most popular podcast episodes. So I encourage you to check them out at theoverflow.com. 
And I want to thank my newest subscribers to my website, like Olivia from the UK, Sherry from Florida, Lori from Alabama, Paul from Indiana, and Talia from Texas. Welcome. Now, new subscribers to my website benefit from that one-page resource of my top five bites that I mentioned. It's a great place to start. Subscribers will also benefit from an email that I send once a week. And in that email, you get a weekly memory verse resource to display on your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop, or you can print it out. You'll also get an email recap of the week's episode and you get instant access to any of the resources I create for my episodes from time to time. And all of that is just my way of saying thank you for listening. So head over to michellekneesat.com to subscribe today. Now, there are so many ways to listen to the podcast. We are now featured on Joy 103.1 every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We are always on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio, and you can subscribe in iTunes through the podcast app. While you're there, please leave me a written review and a star rating. That's kind of the hub that gives me some credibility to new listeners, and it encourages me personally, of course. And as always, if you take the time to review my podcast, I will take the time to personally thank you right here on the podcast. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be using Known by Taryn Wells to jump into scripture. And if you liked this episode, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneesat.com forward slash 236. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. And until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.